everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? We doing good? I know we're going to get these lights on. Boom. Let there be light. And there was light. Welcome to City of Lights. We hope you guys, wasn't the worship team amazing this morning? We are so blessed to have such an incredible team. I love to see them going hard after God. And, and uh, my prayer is that we would be a people who go after God and worship. Uh, as a congregation, I really want to encourage you, if you are, I know lots of times, particularly within the culture of the church, uh, the people that are visiting for the first or second time tend to always be on time or early because uh, they don't want to miss out on things. They don't want to miss that out. And then so the people that usually come, sometimes they kind of get, you kind of get a little bit uh, relaxed and you kind of show up a little bit later. You just kind of take your time at the coffee station. And I want to encourage you, hey, come early, get you some coffee, but let's come in ready to worship the Lord at downbeat. Amen. We don't want to miss out on a moment. Why? It's not so that they feel better about themselves up here. It's because we don't want to miss an opportunity to worship the Lord together. It is a great joy, not just to worship the Lord, but to worship the Lord together, to see what God's doing in the testimony of the lives around you. So I want to encourage you, show up at 945, come, get you a little coffee, get to talk in, and then let's come eager, ready, and waiting to engage the Lord in worship. Amen? Amen. Uh, just a quick little uh, caveat for those of you maybe heard uh, Trish had mentioned the Baja meeting. Uh, we, we do not have like a secret like Baja Blast meeting where we just worship Baja Blast by Mountain Dew. We actually have a short-term 10 days mission trip that is coming up to Baja, Mexico. We're super excited about it this summer and uh, we would love for you to be a part of it. And there's going to be more information as we go forth. Uh, but that's what she was alluding to if you were wondering what the Baja meeting is. I remember I went to a church one time and uh, they were doing some contemplative worship uh, in a side room, but they were kind of just titling it as soaking. And somebody walked by and said, hey, are you going to the soaking session? And I overheard it, and I was like, I am married. What are y'all doing around here? What kind of weird stuff is happening? It wasn't weird, but sometimes you just throw things out there and people don't know what you're talking about. So I want to make sure that you all know what we're talking about this morning. If you're interested in that, we'd love to get you more information. This morning, we are in week two of our Better series. And uh, the Better series, the focus of this series over the course of the five weeks that we're doing it, is really to look at Jesus as being the center of the whole of Scripture. We sang just a moment ago, Jesus at the center of it all. And unfortunately, many times, whether it's because of our upbringing, whether we grew up in the church or not in the church, I think some of us who maybe grew up going to Sunday school, when we often looked at the Old Testament or maybe different biblical stories, maybe it was about Jonah or Adam or Abraham or uh, maybe David and Goliath, we can look at these oftentimes as isolated moral teachings and miss the fact that they are all pointing to the hero of the whole story, which is Jesus. Moral teachings are great, and we want to walk in character and understand what it means to be people of integrity and, and, and high moral character. However, morality in and of itself makes not one of us righteous. 
It is the blood of Jesus. It is the love of Jesus given, extended, offered to us that makes us right. And so today we want to begin this journey talking about the historical character that we meet at the beginning of Scripture known as Adam. Adam was the perfect man. He knew no, uh, he, he knew not a bad environment. He was not affected in any way positively or negatively by public school. He didn't have to deal with ever being pulled over. He didn't ever have to deal with a bad parenting situation. His situation was real nice. He didn't even have to wonder who his spouse would be. Uh, You know what I'm saying? It was a good situation. He's like, man, Lord, I kind of want to marry somebody. Hold up a second. Go to sleep. Take a rib. Boom. Perfect woman. Right there. So it was a great situation. And yet, man, he was tempted just like us. And I don't know about you, but I deal with temptation. I know we can act real holier than thou, and we can come into church and try to pretend like temptation doesn't knock on our door, but temptation comes at me all the time. And I know you probably wouldn't tell this, but I often get tempted by food. I know. You wouldn't know that. You're like, man, that physique, it's amazing. You should be in the Olympics or something. I am. The eating Olympics. It's amazing. Actually, no, I didn't meet the trials, but... But there's, you know, there's just certain things that tempt us, and there's a variance of temptations. You know, some of the temptations, the way temptation hits us is kind of like it's not necessarily a sin initially. You know, those are the ones that are a little bit hairier, where it's just a little bit too much of a good thing, right? Like, just, just, too, just a little bit too much of a good thing. You know, a biscuit in and of itself is not sin. You know what I'm saying? It's just not. It's not. I lived in the South for a little bit. And I got acquainted with this, this glorious thing called Bojangles. <laughs> Bojangles. And, and it just messed me up. And, and at first, at first, because it was deceptive the way it hit me. Because at first, there was a Bojangles like half a mile, or like about a mile away from our house. But then they started building a Bojangles like even closer. And I thought... I got Bojangles in front of me. I got Bojangles behind me. Surely this is the provision of the Lord. Yes! And then somebody told me that they had this thing called a Cajun chicken biscuit. And you could add egg and cheese to it. It's a complete breakfast. And I would drive by it and I'd feel the drawing and I'd know because I'd hear the voice of my wife and the Holy Spirit Sometimes they're undiscernible between the two. And I'd drive by and I'd hear the drawing said, Oh, John, I have been waiting here for you. Draw nigh to me. And I'd hear the voice of my wife and the Holy Ghost. You don't need that. You got reserves, big boy. And yet, I would tell myself, Oh, but I do. And I get a biscuit. And you know, for me, that's one of the things that I've had to walk through in my journey of grace is because I can tend to be an emotional eater. I can tend to give into that temptation. For me, it was a comfort thing. I, one of the, the issues that I walk with and deal with is I can oftentimes get overwhelmed like maybe many of you do. And my escapism apart from Jesus 
or my, my solution, my short-term uh, provision in a moment to deal with being overwhelmed, overstressed, is to eat or to run to some other form of escapism. Go see a movie. Go do this. And just the simple temptation itself is not a sin, but it's responding in the wrong way that can often lead us, maybe not initially into a path of sin, but over time into a position in our hearts and in our human condition of utter destruction. And so I just want to unpack some of this a little bit this morning, but before I do, I want to look at a quick video that can kind of highlight a little bit the way that temptation kind of sneaks in, grabs us, and takes us down the wrong path. Can we cue that video up? Hey, Dad. Yeah? This thing starts at 7.15. I just need to find my keys, and then we need to leave. What is this thing we're going to anyway? It's Sarah's birthday. We're going to Screen Door. You already knew that. Don't we go to these things like every week, it seems? Uh, yeah. It's her birthday. She's my friend, okay? So just What is she, nine? You know what? That's not funny. You're just being a baby. Why don't we watch this Battlestar Galactica DVD I just got? Season one. I heard really good things about it. Okay, I mean, the woman I volunteer with at the Humane Society is always like, this is such a great show. Let's watch this. Okay, listen. One episode, and then we go to dessert. Okay, we'll definitely make it. Gotta be 40 minutes tops. This will be good. I heard really good things about it. It's not just regular science fiction. I think it's actually good. I love you. Okay, episode one. Wow. Okay, it was good. That's so well done. Do we have time to watch one more, you think? I think so. What? That is crazy. That's amazing. I just texted Sarah happy birthday, so that's done. I have to get up early for work, so let's get in our PJs, and then we'll watch one more. Okay, one more. So good. How is it so good? What time is it? It's like daylight already. How did that even happen? We just stayed up all night. Do you want to watch more? My vacation day starts now. So intense. Oh my god, so good. Okay, Ugh. let's just watch the first episode of season two. That's all I want to see. One more I season. I don't remember the last time I got in the bathroom. Oh, my legs are like to sleep. I a little bit feel like I have a bladder infection, but. I'm just gonna get antibiotics after the next episode. Yeah, okay, thanks, bye. So, I lost my job. Uh, one more episode? Yeah. Mm. Service shut off notice. They're not gonna do that, don't worry about it. Okay, you're right. Oh, no. what? God, get the remote! I'm looking for it. Listen, we're gonna be okay. God, will you do something? Like, pick it up. What do you want me to do here? Okay, get the account number. Okay, yeah, we just got a shut up notice. I'm account 828-348-2039. We need to see another episode. 942. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. My eyes are getting salty. Like when I blink, it stings. <laughs> When's the last time you brushed your teeth? I can't remember. God, who's calling? Don't pick it up. It's like people don't respect, like, our space. Just don't pick it up. You know who would never call Starbucks? No, Starbucks isn't de that dependent on people. Like, Starbucks, I think, like, would, would, wouldn't even call anyone. Great! Next one! Next one! Next one! Whoa, wait, 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 wait. What? What? That's the last one! Satisfying finale, that's it. Then there has to be another one. There's not! I get my job, we're losing our house. They owe us! Who it? Ronald D. Moore. He has to write more episodes. Yeah. You know what? We'll find him. Okay, okay, okay. 
There he is. He lives he, here. He lives in Portland. We have to go to his house. We're, we're, we're going right now. Come on, get in the car. I got it. Oh. Ah, legs are cramped. <laughs> I love that, right? I don't. I know that's nobody out here. Uh, I know that's nobody out here, but. You know, we, we are creatures prone to temptation. Uh, I want to read, begin reading this morning in the book of Genesis. It's the beginning, the book of beginnings at the beginning of your Bible. And we want to look this morning at how temptation really came upon our first parents and Adam and Eve and how they responded It says in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die." But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you that you're here this morning. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to hear and receive your word in a fresh way today. God, that you would burn away and delete any files of our past religious experience that is not consistent with your truth that is not consistent with the gospel, and that you would help us experience your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned before, there's all kinds of different temptations, right? There's, like as I mentioned, there's too much of a good thing that might be eating, drinking, social media, movies, as we saw there on the video, Sometimes it might be work. It might be things that initially in and of themselves are good or not a bad thing intrinsically, but in excess or in obsession, they become an idol or a sin. Sometimes it's not too much of a good thing. It might be the right thing at the wrong time. How many of you have been tempted to sleep at the wrong time? I don't know how many of you wake up when the very first alarm goes off or how many of you are three-time snoozers. You just kind of hit it. It's just like muscle memory. Papa. You know, sometimes we ta- sleep at the wrong time. Uh, sometimes we get caught talking. That's one of the things we're talking, we're talking around the table about temptation. And we joke about how some of our boys, they are tempted to talk when they should not. It's a temptation to just say something. There's been times where I could see it welling up so deeply in my son, uh, Aaron, that he wants to say something so bad, but he knows he shouldn't say it. And he's like, it's almost like he's choking it down. So tempted. And then, of course, there are the sins that, or the temptations that are very much rooted in evil desires and sin that prey upon our flesh, 
our sin nature as it would be, our draw towards the things that are not of God. And many of these desires, if we distilled them down to the core desire, the desire itself is not sin. It is that where the devil comes into play is that he takes an eternal, a godly desire, and he distorts it. And by distorting it, creates a counterfeit provision for it. So what he does is sexual desire in and of itself is not evil. But what he does is he distorts it and he manipulates it into perversion. And then he creates false provision to fulfill that perversion and presents it as though this is what you need. This is who you are and I will supply you. He becomes the most devious of dealers. He preys upon, he identifies what that core need is and then he manipulates us and deceives us into believing that he's the only one that can supply us. The truth is though Not only has he distorted that desire, but his solution is always going to be short-term and keep us hooked. Often, this enemy, he comes, he identifies these core needs, and he tries to get us to detach or to question the true fulfillment of it. I think it's interesting that when the enemy comes to Adam and Eve, that he comes and he tempts them with something that they actually already have. He, first of all, comes and he begins to get them to question a perfect God that has given them all provision. It would be like, I don't know how many of you ever watched the amazing work of art that was DuckTales. Woo-hoo. And you have this image, maybe you didn't see the show, but you've seen the gif of Scrooge McDuck diving into a sea of gold coins. And it would almost be as though you were given a room with a sea of golden coins. All this is yours, and yet the enemy comes around, he goes, You see that little pile of change? God's so stingy. He don't want you to have that. Endless resources, provision, and yet the enemy uses the smallest things to get us to begin to question. And then what does he tempt Adam and Eve with? He says, if you, he doesn't want you to partake of this because if you do, then you'll be like God. Like God. Now, If you read the chapters previously, you would know that it was actually God's desire and design to make man to be like him. God already had provision. He said, let us make man in our image. God desired from the beginning that man and woman would look like him, that would carry not just in in, in appearance but in visage and character so that everywhere we would go, we would reveal and reflect the glory and the person of God. They already had it. Yet the enemy just preyed upon that little mistrust, that deviant desire not to be like God, but to be worshipped like God. 
to be the boss, to be in control. I don't know about you. I, I struggle with that at times. I find that there's many things that I'm tempted in. It's, it's not because I lack something. It's honestly because I just want to be in control. You know, Adam, he, didn't, he, he couldn't say, you know, God, I wouldn't have done this if you were a better father. I, I wouldn't have done this if I grew up in a better neighborhood with better resources. He had no excuse. The reality is our flesh will fail. Our flesh will fail. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, as Jesus would exhort his disciples. We can't will, will ourselves, W-I-L-L, we can't will ourselves out of the fact that we are broken humanity. Now, I'm thankful that there's also a better garden story to draw from. You see, here in Genesis, Adam, even though he had an amazing father, even though he had all provision in a moment of deception. And the truth is, one of the things that I often wonder when I read this passage is I wonder if this was the first time Adam was tempted or just the first time he responded in the wrong way. I have to believe that this hadn't been the first time an animal had tried to talk to him. Because you'd have responded differently, right? I'm telling you right now, if a serpent comes around me and starts talking, I'm either going to stomp. It's not because I'm from slithering, okay? Like, you're not going to, like, Harry Potter your way out of that situation. Or I'm out of there. I don't stay. I don't stay in the situation. This isn't like a horror movie, you know, where Adam is like, oh, oh, the snake is talking. It looks ominous. We should go check it out, Eve. No. No, they were from Africa. They ran out of that situation. If that was wrong, I'm just saying. So you know that there had to be some level of familiarity. And I often wonder, like, if the serpent was the first one to start saying things. You know, if the zebra was like, hey, you really thought zebra was the best name for me? You know, does God always call the cool animals? Or does he just leave you with, like, aardvark? But it was the first one, man. Leave me alone. I just wonder if, if he had to be broken down at some point. But what's crazy is it doesn't really matter in his case and in our case what kind of perfect record you have before the fall. When he fell, he fell hard. He fell like Ronda Rousey, undefeated. But it only took the right punch at the right time. And by that fall, every one of us were affected. Through one man, Adam, death entered into the world. Brokenness entered into the world. Shame entered into the world. But God had a plan, and his plan began to unfold immediately, even before the foundations of the world. If you would turn with me to the book of Matthew, Genesis, the book of beginnings, is the first book in the New Testament, in the beginning of the Bible, Matthew begins the New Testament. And God's plan, knowing that man was prone to sin, that man could not moralize itself out of destruction and these patterns of sin, 
God had a plan that he would come, the person of Jesus. He would be all God and all man to live the life that we should have lived. Not that he would be free from, uh, not that he would be able to escape all the things and the temptations and the attack and the persecution, but that he would fulfill the plan. He would trust God to the very end. You see, one of the things that we see with Adam is that the issue of temptation is that temptation actually is very systematic in how it gets us. First of all, it rationalizes the act and discredits any caution. It identifies our natural or even core desires and then it makes foggy. It minimizes the long-term consequences. Minimizes the long-term consequences. You think of the things that you might be tempted to do. One of the first things, it was amazing. We were talking, I was talking to my son, and we were having an honest conversation about temptation. And he was like, the thing about it is when I'm tempted to do this, I can't even think about what will happen next. But as soon as I do it, I feel really bad. And that's what happens. We magnify the temptation, and we minimize Jesus. We minimize our provision. Jesus, who is about to experience the most brutal murder, beating that has ever been known, he's not just going to be physically punished for our sin or iniquity, but he's going to carry upon himself the full weight of sin and guilt and shame. I don't know about you, my own sin can be suffocating at times. I can't imagine taking on the sin of my family, let alone this room, or all humanity. And yet he who knew no sin. Do you ever get mad when you get accused of something that you didn't do? And I'm not talking about like a small thing, like a big thing. We're not talking about like your mom getting mad at you for eating the last cookie and you're like, I haven't even eaten it. I just ate the second to last one. No, we're talking about a false accusation of murder in the first degree. You get the death penalty and you're innocent. And here was Jesus willingly taking on the death penalty for sins and crimes that he never committed. And so he comes with the weight of this. Again, he was fully God and fully man. He's carrying the weight of this knowing that if he wanted to, he could just say, no, I don't want to do this. They failed us so many times, Dad. How many times did you provide for them and they ignored you? Remember that time you rescued them out of slavery and they had the nerve to complain that they were hungry? And then you sent them bread. They were full. They were, they were satisfied. And then they complained about the bread. And they asked for meat. And you sent them meat. And then they complained about the meat. And then they said, oh, but I'm thirsty. And you gave them water. And yet that wasn't enough they still ended up making idols anyway. He didn't have to do it. But here we see this encounter. 
he goes to a different garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to begin in chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He was feeling this weight. Then he said to his friends, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And I think this is such a beautiful, vulnerable moment where Jesus is saying to his three, for what we can tell, like his three closest friends, stand with me. I'm getting ready to go through some stuff. I couldn't even begin to explain it to you, but could you just stand with me? It says he went a little bit further and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, when he's talking about this cup, he's not talking about the cup that he shared with the disciples at the Last Supper just a few moments ago. He's talking about the cup of wrath that was prophesied in the Old Testament, that he would take on the full weight of the wrath of God towards sin. Then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Tempted to give in, tempted and, and wanting if there's any way that this can be taken from me, but yet surrendering and trusting the Father, saying, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then it says, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He is about to face death. He looks to his friends and he says, would you please stand with me? He comes back. And they fell asleep. Guys, I'm about to take on the sins of the world. I make one request. Stay awake. And you fall asleep. That's what I would have said. Humanity. We're weak. He says, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I know historically when we look at this, we look at it as really being a temptation. A temptation of, of this moment where Jesus is saying, God, if this can be taken from me, please take it. But I look at it also from a different perspective because I think when I see this, I am amazed at how patient God is. Because in the very moment where he is setting forth and trusting God to take a step and take on a debt that was not his to bear, he's looking upon the very people he's dying for and being reminded of their own frailty. Jesus was not just like somebody that they met at like a meet and greet or like a photo, joint photo session. He had walked with them. He had provided for them. They were close. And yet his closest friends, his closest human relationships 
would give out. Now, when I look at this, I don't believe for a second that Jesus looked at them with disdain. I actually believe that in this moment where he looks upon them and he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If anything, solidified, this is why I'm here. Because if they could do it on their own, they wouldn't need me. I believe that it was almost in that moment that it reminded him, gosh, I love you guys. And I have to do this so that you can be all that you're called to be. That I would be glorified in everything that is coming. He says, again for the second time he went away and he prayed, my father, this cannot be passed unless I drink it. Your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus, in a moment of sorrow and grief, did not respond in the way that we often respond. He did not respond by magnifying the problem. In each moment, his response was, your will be done. There was a relationship. There was an acknowledgement of the Father. He made great the Father in his eyes. He did not fail as Adam failed in the garden, choosing not to trust and to give in to a momentary urge but he responded with love and grace. And the beauty of it is, is he recognized that man can never, we can never, you can never make it on your own. You will not break out of your addiction on your own. You will not break out of your addiction on your own and however many people you get around you to hold you accountable. You know what you can do with accountability partners? Lie. It's true. We do it all the time. Jesus knew I can, they will not fulfill the law on their own. They will not fulfill the moral code on their own. And so I will take it upon myself and I will take on the sin and the full weight of, of death and shame. I will carry it, but I will conquer it. Because I am the only one that can conquer it. And so he knew if I am going to deliver man, I must be crushed. But not just crushed, but I will raise again. The reason that we have hope this morning is not because we figured out the moral, how we cracked the moral code on how to set up the right parameters and get the right uh, filter apps, how to create the right partnerships. The reason we had hope is because Jesus lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, but that he rose again three days later victoriously. And to those who will receive his gift, he has given us the power to overcome sin and destruction. What does that mean? Why are we so excited about this? The scripture says that when we come alive and we are born again into Jesus, that his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, comes on the inside of us. I'll expand that. This power that raised Christ from the dead, a word that we have for that is dunamis. Dunamis power. It's the word that we get dynamite from. This nuclear explosive power is now on the inside of you. So now not only do you have this sense of right and sense of the moral code, which you cannot accomplish on your own, but now we have the power to glorify him. Yeah. 
in the power he's given us himself. However, we got to go to him to get it. We will not overcome temptation just by willing it away. I'm not going to give some exhaustive list of 10 ways to overcome temptation. 10 new strategies to a better you. But I do want to help us be able to have some keys, not so much to make big the problem, but to make great the provision of God. Because even, that's the issue. The temptation is that there is a desire that you have that the enemy comes and says, I will meet said desire. And he gets you to question our true provision. So the first thing that we have to, the first way we have to respond from temptation is to run. Go ahead and write that down. The biblical word for this is flee. Flee. We've got to run from temptation. You won't win a negotiation with temptation. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the MMA or mixed martial arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but one of the tactics is to wear you out over time. These Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters are skilled in conserving energy and getting you in certain holds that you are going to tire yourself out the longer you're in it. Temptation works that way. Temptation's patient. That's why it works in little ways, slowly wearing you down until one day. You know, it's like I'm amazed when I would say this or other people would say this to me. Like, you know what? I just don't know what happened. I just fell in. Like, nah, bro. You didn't fall in. It started with a phone call. Hey, hey. My roommates are here. Oh, really? Yeah. You want to come over and watch a movie? Yes. <laughs> then you're like, oh. Then you got your keys. You went into your car. You turned the car on. You drove the whole way knowing you shouldn't have done it. Then you got there. Hey, you want to watch it in my room? I got a better TV in there. You went into her room. Her clothes didn't magically come off. Magically. You did not fall. You were drawn. You got there from many small decisions that you made. We didn't fall in there. We've got to not, you don't, it's not even like you don't have to have, uh, sometimes we can try to overcalculate it. Like, just run. Go ahead. Respond the way you should to a talking snake. Run. <laughs> now, here's the key. Here's the key. Because the problem is, oftentimes we do run, whether we run before or after because we feel horrible. But the problem is, is what we run to. See, how enemy is funny how he works this way. Because what he'll do is he'll say, hey, yo, you got this need. I got what you need, Right? 
going to help you out. I'm going to help you out in a pinch. You're like, oh, really? Yeah. And you get it. And you're like, oh, this, this is what I need right now. It doesn't matter what comes after this. You take it. You fall into temptation. You realize the consequences. And you freak out. And you're like, oh, i got to get out of this situation. Just like Adam did. It says they realized that they tried to go and find ways to cover themselves up. So you go, oh, i got to go. And then all of a sudden you turn and you run into the enemy again. He's like, oh, hey, what's up? I got what you need. Wait, didn't I just see you? No, that was my cousin. Um, and we just get in this cycle of running to short-term fix, to short-term fix. It's not just the running that helps us. It's the what are we running to. And so we don't just flee temptation. We don't just run from temptation. We must run to Jesus. The scripture has a word for turning from one thing and turning to Jesus, and that word is repentance. You ought to write that down. Now, I know that when I say that word, for some of you, depending on your church experiences, for some, the word repentance can bring a bit of peril, or for others, peace. Because many times when we think of repentance, what we picture is turning to God with his angry eyes. We, we think of shame and we think of judgment and we think of condemnation. We think of, oh, I don't want to face him. You know, it's amazing to me when I think about Adam in the garden who knew no shame. Adam never knew the wrath of God in the garden. All he'd known was being fully, completely, and undeniably loved by the Father, and yet when he gave into temptation and sin and shame and condemnation broke into the world, when he heard God for the first time, he ran with the kind of fear and dread that a prey would run from their predator or a child would run when their mom calls them by their full name. Why? Because that's the result of sin. Because the devil knows if I can get you to, to have this false image of who God is, that he's mean, that he hates you, that he's going to shake his finger at you, how dare you, then I can keep you on the loop as long as I want. Because he understands when we actually see the face of God, when we see and experience the love of Jesus, sin doesn't have a chance. What happens when we run to God? Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we run to Jesus, you are not running to Jesus with the angry eyes. You are running smack into the mercy and the grace of God. The grace that is greater than any situation you find yourself in this moment or have been in in the past. Greater than any situation that you will fall into the future. His grace is greater. His mercy, it says his mercies are new every morning. You say, I think I lost all my mercy. I tell you what, he's got mercy rollover for the next day. 
He doesn't look at you with disdain. He looks at you and he comes with provision because he knows you will never make it on your own. And I've come to love you. I've come to restore you. I've come. And all I'm saying is come. Just come to me. Stop settling for lesser things. Stop running to the next quick fix. Stop running to another fig-leafing moment of trying to figure it out yourself and repent and receive my mercy. Receive my power, my grace. Receive my provision. Our freedom will not come by magnifying the problem. You see, where we cut off temptation at the root is not by figuring out all the systematic ways to avoid the temptation, but when we make great who God is, when we magnify him, when we boast of him, when we celebrate who he is, when we look at him as he truly is in all of his glory and mercy and patience and kindness. When we understand that, when we come before him in worship, that's why it's so powerful when we get in here. I don't just show up to make them feel better. I don't just show up to make me feel better. I show up to worship him because I know when I magnify him, everything else that I will face becomes so small. When I truly dive into the presence of God as Scrooge McDuck dives into his golden coins, when I'm swimming in the presence, when I'm spending time surrounded by his provision, when the enemy tries to tempt me with this little pile of change, I know it's just a pile of change. You give me everything I need. You are my peace. You are my joy. You are my provision. You are my security. You are my identity. In you I am fully loved. And when you know who he is, you no longer have an appetite for lesser things. I don't want to give you a bunch of systematic things, but you know, that stuff is not bad. The problem is we make that an idol. And we miss the true power. The power of the living God. The power of Jesus. The power that conquered and broke the back of sin and temptation. That though many died, though many were broken as a result of Adam, that all would be made whole through Jesus. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget... You can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.